Praise the Lord. Amen. And I know that there are some others that are um, military that are not here today, so we just want to thank you so much. Our kids are dismissed to Kids Dome. Everyone else, if you would just stand to your feet, open your Bibles with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. It's the, it's the second to last book in your Bible, 25 verses, one, one chapter. got it say so the book of Jude says beginning in verse 1 Jude a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ mercy peace and love be multiplied to you beloved while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love toward us. And Holy Spirit, right now we just surrender unto you. And Lord, as I pray, Lord God, I just want to take a moment just to remember, Lord God, and thank you for those who serve today, our military, Lord God, those who serve this nation and do this for our freedoms that we have. Lord God, we thank you for them, and we just lift them before you right now that you would protect them, that you would be with them, Lord God, that you would keep them out of harm's way. Lord God, that you would be with their families and that you would strengthen them in this time, my God. Father, we pray for those who have been shaken, my God, in their lives because they've experienced war in the past, our veterans, my God, who many of them battle, Lord Jesus, with, with, with mental issues and things like that as they've, as they've been scarred in ways that we could never fully understand, God. We just pray for your perfect peace for your perfect comfort, for your strength upon them, Lord God. May they feel the warmth of your embrace, Lord God, and may we, when we see them, Lord God, may we recognize them, may we honor them, Lord God, as, a, as individuals and even as a nation, my God. May we just recognize the great price that has been paid for us, my God, to be here and the freedom that we have. Lord God, we thank you for this, and Lord God, as we get into your word this morning, Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Holy Spirit, we submit unto you. We thank you for your presence that has graced us today. And we just ask, Lord God, that we would not be hearers alone, but, Lord God, that we would be doers. Let us respond in faith. Let us respond with boldness and courage. Let us re respond in obedience to you, Lord God. Father, we submit to you, and we thank you for your word that is truth. Transform us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, would you please raise your hand and just hold it up for a moment so the ushers can get you an outline. Um, these outlines, again, are very important. We just finished our Connect season. And so um, we, have our, we do Connect from September to May. And so we just finished um, um, last week. And so 
Obviously, you know, we're not going to be discussing the sermons for those of you who were doing that, but this is still a good thing for you. I want to remind you weekly, it's good for you to take notes. That's important. It's good for you to answer those questions that are in there for you, and it is also a tool to help you to make disciples, all right? It is important for us, and we realize that we are all called to make disciples, and the way that you make a disciple, I mean, the way that this, the disciples made disciples, the way that Jesus made disciples, what did Jesus say? He said, everything that I speak is what I've heard from the father that's what he did right and then he says to his disciples that the holy spirit is going to come to bring to remembrance everything that jesus said and then what does he tell the disciples to do he says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them all things that i've commanded you and so what do we do making disciples is partially on our part it is passing on the information and us as disciples who are receiving information it is us living out those purposes that we find in the word of god and so I encourage you that if you are not in a relationship with someone, right, I mean, I believe everybody needs a Paul in their life, you know, everybody needs a Timothy in their life. Are you here? You know, we all need Barnabases in our lives, you know, so we need someone over us, we need someone beside us, and we need someone that we are raising up and that we're bringing up in the faith. And so I highly encourage you to utilize these outlines for your benefit, not just to take notes, but to help other people grow in their faith. And so everyone has an outline here. And so we are continuing kind of uh, in our apologetic series, our no apology series. And so today, um, I was going to preach last week, but in order to accommodate Adams Road's um, schedule, we, we let them come in last week and start off the series. But I told you last week that I was going to begin dealing with this. And this scripture, this scripture here, and also 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, is where I found the foundation for this particular sermon series that I think is very appropriate, that is very timely and very needed in our days. And so if you look at this first paragraph here, there is probably no greater time in history in which the faith needs to be defended especially in the United States of America where we have more professing Christians than we have practicing Christians now I want you to understand the reality of this because there are if you look at the United States of America right now and you were to do a poll and they've done this and there are probably you know 70 80 percent of people would say that they're Christian and that and then you look at the condition of our nation and you realize that there's some type of disconnect as Pastor Chad was alluding to the sin issue that we have when he was going over communion when we look around what we can see is wow man if you have 80 percent 70 percent people are Christian and this nation is this way something's wrong either the people who are preaching are messed up the people who are hearing are messed up but someone is messed up hello and so what I want you to realize is the reason why we're doing this series is because this is the time that the faith needs to be defended and I want you to realize this I want you to realize that those who will defend the faith are a minority in this nation those who will truly stand up for the truth of God's word are a minority in this nation we are a minority and you know what and let me tell you this praise God for that Praise God for the fact that we are a minority. You know why? Because when we're a minority and we decide that we're going to stand up for the truth, it is easier to tell who we are. Hello. When you got a whole bunch of people saying that we're Christian and a whole bunch of people saying that we're walking with Jesus, it would be great if that 80% was really defending the faith. If that, if that 80% was really standing up for truth, if, that, if everyone who proclaimed themselves Christian was standing up, for, it would be an amazing, amazing thing. This nation would, listen, this nation would be at a different place if everyone who proclaimed themselves Christian was really living out the biblical truth of Scripture. 
But we're living in a day that we are the minority. What they, what they said, one of the polls that someone was saying was that, like, really, in reality, when you look at those Christians that are actually practicing their faith, that are actually living right, they are, there are about 7% of the population, 7 to 9% of the population. That's a small group of people. And can I tell you something else? I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna, I'll give you another fact here. And this is, this is just reality. Whether you like this fact or not, it is the truth. The other side of the war, the other side of the cultural battle that we're in, you want to know what? You want to know, you want to know uh, the size of the percentage over there? Seven or nine percent. Do you know what that means? That means, let's just say, we'll just say we're going to round up to 10, 10 percent on each side. Let's just say 10 percent of each side. That means that 20 percent of the culture is in a battle. 10 percent on one side, 10 percent on the other side. You know what that leaves? 80% in the middle that's saying, okay, which way should we go? See, you have one side that is putting their money where their mouth is continually, who is making sure that they are knocking on all the doors they can knock on, utilizing every avenue they can use in order to make sure they push their agenda forward. And I want you to know, this may be uncomfortable for some of you to hear, but this is the truth that we are dealing with in our days. And what I want you to know is that it's not something you need to be afraid of. It's just something you need to be aware of and not just be aware of it. Don't just know what's going on, but you need to make sure that you stand firm in the truth of God's word and that you let your voice be heard. And I'm listen, I want you to know this. I'm not just talking about on a political level. I'm talking about on all levels, especially in the areas where people are really listening to you. Are you hearing me? It is important for us to realize this, that we are in this battle and God calls us and he calls through, the, through, through, Jude, through Jude, who was one of the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, as we'll look here in the second paragraph. The epistle of Jude was written by, uh, by the half-brother of Jesus. And remember, Jude was one of those that didn't believe who Jesus was when Jesus was walking the earth. But once Jesus rose, Jude became a believer and an apostle here, writing one of the, one, one of the, the, the books that we, that, that we hold or one of the epistles that we embrace as being inspired scripture. And so this is a book that was written about, 80, about AD 70. is the fourth shortest book in the New Testament. It contains 25 verses that are filled with a clear call to the church to contend for the faith against false teachers and their influence while strengthening ourselves in the faith and helping those who are weak. And so realize this. This is a clear call. There, there is no question. There should be no question that this is something that the church should be engaged in. And that is defending the faith. Standing up for what is true. Standing up for what is right. Last paragraph here. As we consider the truths found in this, this epistle. Let us consider ourselves as those God has chosen in this hour to contend for the faith against the lies of Satan being accepted as truth in our culture and the doctrines of demons that have been allowed to infiltrate and influence the church. Let us realize the power of the gospel that must be proclaimed, preserved, and passed down to the next generation. What I want you to get is this. I want you to understand over the next few weeks as we continue on in this series, right, we're, we're, we're going to continue on to drive this home. Next week is going to be an amazing, it's going to be like our buffet weekend, okay? It's going to be a, an awesome, awesome time. Saturday from 8 o'clock in the morning until 4, we're going to have some amazing time learning about Islam from a man who was born into that religion, who God saved out of that religion, and who is bringing forth truth so that we can understand that there is a difference between Allah and Jehovah. Hello, somebody. There, there, there is a difference because there's a movement, and he's going to talk about this. There's a movement in our days that says, you know, Allah and Jehovah are really the same God. It's not true. It's not true. 
And so what we realize is that we are in this, right? And so the, in, in, this, in this series, what, what I hope is that you will embrace that truth. He's going to share his testimony on Sunday of how God saved him. And then Sunday night, he's going to finish off with the end of the buffet from 4 to 8. And you guys are going to be privy to all of this. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that you will make sure that you sign up. My wife will be in the lobby. Like I said before, it's $15 per person unless you were able to make that donation. Make sure you see my wife. Make sure that you pay. Make sure that you get a ticket. Make sure you get on that list before this Wednesday because this Wednesday. I'm sorry for Saturday from 8 to 4 that's the lunch that, that that's where the $15 is for it's for the lunch that is included on Saturday and so Saturday make sure you sign up with her and that you get you know your ticket from her for Saturday so that way you can come in and obviously we know you paid because if you didn't pay then you can't come hello right and we want to make sure that everybody can participate. But like I also told you before, if money is an issue, please let us know because we want to make sure that you don't miss because you don't got $15 or whatever the case is. We want you to be equipped. That's the whole purpose of this series. That's the whole purpose of this, uh, of this entire thing is to make sure that we are equipped effectively and that we're edified and built up so we can defend the faith and so we can help people to understand the truth of the gospel and we can help people be delivered from the lies of the enemy. But I want you to realize this. Remember this. Ephesians chapter 4 says what? That he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of the church, for what? For the work of the ministry. So you can go out there and you can be these ambassadors of light. And so here's the big idea this morning that I want you to get. And it is this. God defends his truth as we contend for the faith. God defends his truth as we contend for the faith. What I want you to get is that when we think about this, because I'm going to give you the definition of this word in a moment where he says contend earnestly, where it's talking about defending. What I want you to realize is God is not asking you to be his defender. He's asking you to defend the faith. Are you hearing me? God, God doesn't need you and I to defend him. He needs you and I to represent him. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me today. He needs us to rise up and say, look, God doesn't need anyone to, 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 to defend who he is or anything like that. All he needs is for someone to stand up for the truth that he's entrusted us with, and he will do the rest. That's what he did with the apostles. The scripture says he was with them doing what? Confirming his word. Say his word. His word with signs and wonders. In other words, what it is saying is that when we are devoted to and committed to the proclamation of the truth of God's word, what God says is, I back my word up because when my word is preached, when my word is declared, I'm the one who has to sustain it because you know what? It's not Jason's job to prove it. Hello. It's not Jason's job to bring it to pass. It is my job as God, the author and finisher of their faith to bring it to pass. And so what I want you to get today is to really understand that as we stand up for the truth, God will defend it. God defends himself. God, God doesn't need us to defend him. He needs us to represent him. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must contend for the faith personally. And I'm going to talk to you about three things today. I'm going to talk to you about contending personally, contending privately, and contending publicly. Those are three things right there. Contending personally, contending privately, and contending publicly. And so the first one is we must contend for the faith personally. Now hear me when I say this. We will never stand firm privately or publicly until we have been convinced personally of the truth that we stand in. Let me say that again for you. We will never stand firm privately or publicly until we have been convinced personally of the truth we stand in. 
What, what, what we need to get is this, is that we have to be convinced personally. Like there has to be something that happens to me that I have to be convinced of the truth. It's just like anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Listen, your mom could go to church. Your dad could go to church. You, they can preach you till you are blue in the face, until they are blue in the face, and until you are over it. They can Listen, they can do all of that. And until you are convinced... Until it sinks into your heart that you need Jesus. Look, look, it doesn't matter how passionate I am. It doesn't matter how passionate your parents are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how, parent, how passionate your parents were. Everyone has to come to that place in their life where they say, man, this is for me. This is truth. And so when that happens on a, on a personal level, then we'll take it out. Then we'll move on into deeper conversation. But until that happens, it's going to be something that's just going to go over your head. It's going to go through one ear to the other. Hello. Right? It's not sinking into our hearts. And so the first thing is that. And so to contend earnestly, what does that mean here? So the word, the, 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 the word to contend earnestly is, it, it, is a, it is a Greek word. Epagonosimai is the, is, is the way that it, it, it sounds. Sounds something like that anyway. I'm not a Greek scholar, but here it is. I'm going to give you the way that it's spelled because I want you to see the word that's in the center of it. It is spelled E-P-A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. That is E-P-A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And so what you see in the middle of this word is the word agonize. What you see there is what this means, and it is found only here in the New Testament. And the simple verb was used. Now listen to what it was used for. This word was used of athletes contending in the athletic contest. The word speaks of a vigorous, intense, determined struggle to defeat the opposition. Did you hear that? It speaks of a vigorous, intense, determined struggle to defeat the opposition. Our word agony in the English spelling of the noun form of this word. The Greek athletes exerted themselves to the point of agony in an effort to win the contest. With such intense effort does Jude say that saints should defend the doctrines of Christianity. Did you get that? How many of y'all saw the basketball game last night, OKC, against the Golden State Warriors? How many of y'all were happy for the outcome? A couple of y'all. How many of y'all were sad? I know. It's all right. I was happy. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy because I just, I like when an underdog wins. It's not because I really care. I just like when the guy that's, like, not supposed to win wins, right, typically. Unless I don't like the guy. Then I'm like, I don't want him to win. But... <laughs> But in, th in this case, you know, the first time that I ever saw um, um, St Stephen Curry play was the first game of the playoffs. I've never seen the guy play before, and I was like, wow. I mean, this, this kid is, like, ridiculous, right? Anyway, what, I'm what I, what I want to point out is that, I you know, I told her, I was, it was so funny because Alexis and I were sitting down uh, when the game was getting ready to start. Mind, mind you, Alexis does not like basketball. Um, and she immediately tells me, Dad, we're not going to watch basketball, are we? And I'm like, babe, man, I really want to watch. But, but it, I, I, it's all good. But while we were, we were just watching the intro to the game, and my stomach, I had butterflies in it. I was like, yo, this game is going to be intense, man. I'm like, the game hasn't even started. I'm already feeling like the excitement, right? And so, you know, I watched the first quarter, and then we watched something else, and I came back at the last four minutes, glory to God. And so it was so, I mean, when I, when I turned it on, they were down by two, and I was like, man, I guess they're going home today. And these boys started lighting them up. Here's what I want you to know is that I I promise you that these athletes are agonizing over these wins. They are going to the point of exhaustion. Someone posted on Facebook that obviously wanted um, OKC to win, and they were like, man, OKC gave that game up. And I would say, I don't know, man. I don't know if they gave it up. They might have got out hustled. I don't know. But here's what I'm saying. 
What I want you to realize is that they are agonizing over these wins. These people are putting in hours. These people are working hard in order to get out there on that court and to perform their best, right? They don't just show up on the court and be like, all right, we're going to play today. Y'all with me? They don't just show up at the high moment and be like, yeah, let me tell you something. It took something to get them to that high moment. It took something to get, and you know what? It's going to take something to get them through that high moment, to get them to win, right? It's going to, I mean, what, what, what the commentators were saying is they were like, you know, the patience, you know, of, of these guys, you know, their, their patience is what won them this game because they stood fast. They, you know, they were down almost the whole game and they continued to persevere. They continued to press and then, you know, they got on fire and that's what happened. But anyway, the thing that I want you to get and I want you to realize is that you don't just get lucky. Are you hearing me? You, you, don't, you, you don't just all of a sudden pop up on the scene like amazing. Hello, somebody. I mean, think about it. You know, for those of you that are a little bit older, you know, like myself, you know, your guy, right, he was like the real deal. His name was Michael Jordan. Hello. Right? And, and that was a dude that, you know what, I believe, I, I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was his high school coach, right? It was his high school coach that cut him. So we look at Michael when we see afterwards this amazing player. But you know what? In high school, they cut his behind and said, nah, bro. And that was his motivation to get out there and get on the court and practice and practice. He agonized over every shot. He figured out how to become well-rounded. So you know what now, you know, and, and his coach, you know what, the, you know, his coach, his high school coach, he's not regretting that he cut Michael because if he wouldn't have cut Michael, Michael wouldn't have paid the price. That's why I tell you the same thing. It's okay that we are the minority in this day when it comes to the truth of God's word because hopefully that will push us to the place of agonizing over the truth, of saying, hold on a second, the situation is the way that it is because we have not had enough agonizers. We have not had enough people in the church who have been overwhelmed by the truth of God. Listen, it's here's the thing. For too long, we've been playing defense when we should be playing offense. Are you hearing me? For too long, we have been waiting to get hit rather than saying, hold on a second. We have the truth that is able to change people's lives. We have the word of God that is able to bring deliverance. And so we wait until we get into these moments of desperation to all of a sudden start praying, to all of a sudden start vocalizing, to all of a sudden start voting to all of a sudden start getting involved time out we should have been doing this years ago we should have been in the word of God and coming out of the word of God preaching to the world and that way they knew and guess what we would really see transformation we would really see change but what we do is we allow the word of God we allow the church to become what it's just it's it's just another thing there's nothing special about it right it's something else the way that we grow churches nowadays you know how we do that we do that through advertisement are you hearing me Listen, come on now. If we're honest, y'all know you got like at least three or four of those little, um, you know, um, things from churches inviting you to come on to their church. You get them around the same time of year. You know, they all send them out the same time. Hello? And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if that's the only way the church grows, there's a problem. Because can I tell you something? I think I said, I said, well, I know I said this a few weeks ago. Church transferring is not church growth. And can I tell you who advertising works towards? It works towards those who are already Christian, who are sick of their church. Hello, somebody. That's who who it works for. Because I promise you, I promise you, (laughs) far and far in between are those who don't know Jesus, who picked up that plan for them and were like, man, I need to get to church right now. This, this, This pamphlet touched their heart and they were changed, I mean, immediately. Think about what's said on those things. It's usually like stuff about how great we are, and we have children's ministry, and we have all of these great things. It's not like a message like saying, listen, you need Jesus. 
you reading this right now, if you don't know Jesus, you are dying and going to hell. And guess what? Jesus died for you. I bet you that nobody sends out a pamphlet like that. If that pamphlet was going out, maybe someone would get saved through it. I'm just saying. But typically, who are we trying to reach when we do that kind of stuff? We're trying to reach those who are, you know, disenchanted with their churches, who are discouraged with their churches, who don't want to be part. And so here's what I want, 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 want us to understand is that we need to be those who are doing what the Scripture says, which is to do what? It is to agonize over the faith. And so look at verse 3 with me really quickly. Look what he says. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So Jude points out his original idea was just to encourage them in the faith, just to encourage them in their common salvation that all Christians have. And he said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to do what? To contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And then look at me, look with me to verse 20. In verse 20, he says this. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so what does he tell him here? He tells him here, and he also says this in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We're going to turn there in a moment. But what he tells them, we'll, we'll get to um, chapter 15 in, in, in 1 Peter. But what he's telling them here, he's saying the key to you and I being those who contend for the faith in any sphere we got to contend for the faith right here. We have to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We have to recognize, listen, the reason why we need to, I don't know about you, I know about me. I need to be reminded of the gospel constantly. Some days, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, there are some days I need to hear the part of the gospel that says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. There are some days I need to be reminded of that. You want to know why? Because I'm having a great day and I think I'm walking on clouds. And I can get real self-righteous until I'm brought down to earth again. And son, we all fall short of the glory of God, right? There are some days that I need to hear that. There are other days that I need to hear the other part of the gospel, right? Which is what? It is that the, 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 the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. There are other days I need to be reminded of that second part of the verse because I already know, listen, I already know where I'm going if I remain in my sin. It's not, I need to be reminded of this free gift, right? It's something that was free to me, kind of like tomorrow's a free day for many of you, but someone paid a price for that. On a greater level. And so I need to be reminded that the free gift of God, I need to be reminded that he has given me eternal life. He is, I need to be reminded, right? And so what I'm saying to you is that that's the reason why we go through this gospel presentation weekly. Because of what? Because we need to make sure that we are rooted, that we are grounded, and that, and, and that inside of our hearts. What does the scripture say? This is what the scripture says in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed. Listen to me now. It says, do not be conformed. He is speaking to the church. He is speaking to those who know Jesus. He is speaking to those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he tells them, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, pause for a moment. Why does that matter? Why, why, why would anybody, I mean, think about this. Why would anybody who fell in love with Jesus, who had an encounter with the Lord, who has experienced the, the power of God in their life on some level, why would they need to be told, do not conform to the pattern of this world? Look what he says. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Because here's what happens. The culture continues to do what? It continues to infiltrate our minds. 
The culture continues to deceive. The culture continues to do what? Continues to become worse and worse and worse. And guess what we are? We are, we are in a place that we need to make a choice. Are we going to give in to the culture? Are we going to conform to the pattern? Hear me. The pattern of this world. Are we going to think the way the world thinks? Are we going to reason the way the world reasons? Are we going to have the same aspirations that the world has? Are we going to have the same devotions that the world has? Remember we talked about worship a couple of weeks ago? Everybody worships something that's not a question of worship. It is what do you worship, right? And so you look at money. I mean, you think about it for a moment. Money, it does one of two things. It is either worshiped by you or it is used to worship. It is either used for worship of God or it is used as an object of worship. And you know what? The world will have you use it as an object of worship, not as a source of worship to God. But the question is, what are we thinking, right? How are we, how are we, are we being renewed in our minds? Or is the Holy Spirit transforming? That word transform means a metamorphosis, right? It's like a butterfly going into a cocoon and, and, you know, or, the, or the whatever, the caterpillar going into the cocoon before it becomes a butterfly. And so he's saying be transformed like that. Don't think the way the world thinks. But you know what? If you're not constantly renewing your mind with the word of God, if you're not constantly in the scriptures, you know what? You're, you're, you're going to start to think the way the world does because you want to know something? The world knows how to use your Bible against you. Are you hearing me? Y'all know the famous scripture, don't judge. They even give you the King James on it. <laughs> they, they, they throw the King James on you, ye shall not as judgeth. That's the ghetto King James, by the way. But they throw that one on you, and you be like, oh, well, okay. Yes, we do. Well, am I judging? Is that what Jesus was saying? Hold on a second. But they use your word. They, they use your Bible on you. That's how the enemy does it. Listen, you think about, think about this for a moment. You think about any, any, any political issue that is out there that they, you, know, you know what they'll do? They'll use a scripture in order to say, hey, well, this is the right way to do it because this is what the scripture says. Really? Talk about love like love is just, you know, just how whatever you want it to be. It's not true. It's false. It's not, it's, it's, I don't care how you feel. I, I, it doesn't matter. Your emotions are irrelevant to the question and the conversation. It is the truth that is at, that, that is at stake here. But can I tell you something? You will never contend with someone about the truth until you're convinced of it yourself. And you know what you have to do and I have to do? You have to do and I have to do? You have to do and I have to do. I'm saying we all have to do. We have to continue to be in the word of God. We have to continue to be in the scriptures. We have to, nothing, well, I memorize that scripture. I don't care how many scriptures you memorize. How many scriptures are you memorizing? I don't care how many books you read. How many books are you reading? That, that, that's what I'm talking. See, it's about us continuing to contend for the faith on that personal level. We must fight to be convinced of these truths continually, building ourselves upon the most holy faith. We listen. We must agonize in prayer, and that means to make great effort over the tough issues that we face. We must agonize, or to be, or, or in other words, be diligent in our study of God's word as we seek Him to settle truth in our hearts. And we must constantly make an effort to enjoin ourselves in worship of the God of the God who is and saturate ourselves in his love as we wait for his mercy that's what that, that's what Jude tells us to do here 
He's saying, build yourself up in this. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Listen, I want you to understand something. It is so very important that you pray in the Spirit. And what does that mean? Listen, I'm going to give you two things that you need to understand about praying in the Spirit. One of them is this. It is not saying that you have to pray in tongues. It would have said, if it was praying in tongues, it would have said pray in tongues. This is what I want to say secondly. What I want to say secondly is praying in tongues is also praying in the Spirit. Are you here? Praying in the spirit this morning. I don't know what, you know, I, I mean, I know what happened. But, you know, this morning I was in prayer in, in, my, in my house as I was praying for the service. And I was just before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit just took over me. And I was praying in the spirit. And I mean speaking in tongues. I mean, I was praying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Praying for this service. Praying, you know, and, I, and I'm, what I'm saying, I knew that I was praying for the service and praying for things that were going to go on. But here's what I want you to know. There are also times that I pray in the spirit in English or in Spanish sometimes. Hello. And what I mean, what, what, it, what it means to pray in the Spirit, it means to pray under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It means to pray, not to, now listen, there are some times, and I'll tell you right now, there are some times that I, and I'm going to say this, and I don't mean it the way that it's going to sound, but it's going to, whatever. But there are some times that I just go through the motions in prayer. In other words, I don't feel like fire in my bones all the time, right? Y'all may think that Bishop always feels fire, not always. Y'all have been on some prayer calls where I was yawning to death, but here's the thing. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. I pray in faith even when I don't feel it, right? Even when I'm like, man, I feel like my prayer is hitting the ceiling. You want to know what's beautiful about prayers hitting the ceiling? Is that God's in the room with you. Did you get that? God didn't leave the room like, well, hey, I'm above the ceiling. You got to get past the ceiling to get to me. That isn't what he said, right? What you got to realize is that he's there with you. And so even when you're not feeling it, you need to pray by faith. You need to pray as, as the Spirit. And then there are those beautiful moments, and listen, you need to press into those. Those beautiful moments where the Holy Spirit will come. And listen, if he has gifted you with that gift of tongues and it comes, boom, glory to God. If not, listen, pray in English. Pray in Spanish. If you speak French, pray in, pray in French, whatever. My point is, pray under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's part of us contending for the faith. The second thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must contend... For the faith privately. We must contend for the faith privately. And this may sound you're like, well, what do you mean private? You know, what do you mean personal? Here's what I want you to get. And, and, and it's a play on words in, in some sense. But, but the difference between personal and private is this. When we're talking about personal prayer, we're talking about you and God alone. That's what we're talking about. When we're talking about personal contention for the faith, it's you and God, right? It's you and God, kind of like Hannah, right? When Hannah was there, it was, it was her and God. When she was praying to God, it was her and God. She was wrestling with the Lord. She was crying out to God. So that was a personal thing. Or, or that, that was, a, that, that was a, a personal, you know, relational thing with her and God. But when we talk about private, what I mean is it's between you, God, and those who are closest to you. In other words, your family. And I already told you all this before, and I hope you remember, we are family. Amen? I'm about to sing that song. We are family. <laughs> I don't know how this came out, but anyway, I don't even know the rest of the words. I just know that right there, right? That's, that's a little bit before my time. I just, you know, I've heard that, you know, before. So, well, 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 we'll leave it there, right? Let's just leave it there. We'll leave it there. But nonetheless, we, we are family. And this is what Jude is talking about. He's talking to the family of God. And, and he tells them to, that, I wanted to, that, that he wants them to contend earnestly for the faith. And so look at this in verse 4. He says here, and we're going to read the rest of, this, the, the, the rest of this, this book right now. He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the private, right? The, the, the private gathering. 
He's talking about the church. He's talking about the body. He's saying some people have crept in to the church. And he says, for some men have crept in unnoticed. In other words, now look at this. I, 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 you got to think about this. They crept in unnoticed. So what I want you to know is that it's not like, you know, these false teachers are going to come in and they're going to be, you know, so noticeable. They're going to look just like they're going to know the Bible. They're going to quote scripture out of context. They're going to get you emotionally hyped and amped up. They're going to make you feel good about life and all of life and everything. And all. I mean, they're going to do things that is just going to be amazing. He says they crept in unnoticed. And that's how things have happened in the church slowly, unnoticed. All of a sudden, boom, it's here. That's what's happened in our culture. All of a sudden, it's just in our face. You're like, where did that come from? Well, it didn't come overnight. Hello. It's been in the works for a long time, little by little, little by little, little by little, while you're sleeping, while you're chilling, while you're trying to live your best life now. I always have to throw that in there because that just irritates me to no end. But I just, because that, that, that's the deception that our nation is in right now. That is the deception. And, and I'm not just talking about one preacher. I'm talking about that is the delusion that the church is in. That's the, listen, that's the reason why those cards work so well getting to people. Because everyone's looking for their best life now, finding the best church they can, finding the biggest place they can find, finding the place that has the best kids ministry, the best youth ministry, the best this. And listen, the fact of the matter is, it's because they're seeking the wrong thing. Is it wrong to seek a good youth ministry? No. Is it wrong to seek a good children's ministry? No. Is it wrong to like, you know, have good worship, you know, good music? No. Is it wrong to, you know, have good preaching? No. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But listen, are you seeking the heart of God? Is that what you're seeking? Right? Are you seeking God's heart? And so unnoticed, they crept in. And he says, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. When it says they're marked out, it's not talking about they were, they, they were predestined for this. What that word marked out means they were spoken of a long time ago. And he's referring to chapter 4, or verse 14 that we'll look at in a moment. A prophecy of Enoch that these people were prophesied about. That God spoke. God foretold their coming. God lets you know that they were coming. That they were going to be coming into the church. God spoke it into, he, he spoke into the, into the lives of all of those that were there long before long time ago this isn't a surprise this isn't something new this isn't something that's like that right I studied this out because I was like well what does that mean and that's it they've been marked out for this because they were going to do what they were going to be deceived and then they were going to be deceiving others that's what the that, that's what's happening to these people it's because this is the thing that I want you to get whenever someone is deceiving you typically when we're talking about church stuff they're not deceiving you because they just want to be deceitful it's because they've been deceived first and they didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to start deceiving people and I'm going to start doing this. That isn't what happened. These people believe something. That's the reason they're so passionate. That's the reason they're so sure. That's the reason they're writing books about it. Hello? That's the reason why they're going around the United States of America preaching it. Because what? Because they believe it. It doesn't matter what you believe. Is it the truth? That's the question. It goes on to say, these men are ungodly, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Now, now, now look what he's doing here. He's pointing out that you cannot just be thinking, well, hey, man, I'm in church. 
I said a prayer one day, and I'm good to go. That's, that, that's what he's confronting right now. He's saying because there's some things that happened. He said God delivered these people, the children of Israel. He's talking about Old Testament. He delivered them from Egypt, and what happened? He said some of them were killed because they didn't continue in the faith. Some of them were destroyed because they didn't believe. So it's not just about a one-time thing. It's about continually growing in this. In verse 6 it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so now he talks about angels who were what? Angels who were up there with him and they rebelled against God and they were judged. And then he goes on and he says, In Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire are you hearing me See, this is the message that Jude was preaching. And he's saying, look, he said, Israel, they, some of them rebelled, and guess what? They were judged. He said, angels in heaven, they didn't have a sinful nature. They didn't have any excuse. They rebelled. They were judged. And then he says, in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were ones who were what? They were the sons, right, of what? They, they were sons of Noah's. They, they were the children of Noah's three sons. That's where they came from. And so they came out of there. So you know what that means? That means that they knew about the God of creation, and they rebelled against that God and they were judged listen what we need to see is that this is in the New Testament this is not in the Old Testament God is reminding us of all of these things so that way no one should be questioning what is right and what is wrong this is truth the truth is what is what is going to set us free and so God is communicating here through his apostle Jude and letting us know the things that are wrong that these things are wrong and judgment worthy in verse 8 he says likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh so they defile the flesh they, they they're, they're sinful they reject authority they don't want anyone to be over them listen these are the marks of someone who is in rebellion against god these are the marks against someone who was deceived right i'm always real cautious about people because listen you guys know me i'm not one that i'm bishop you got to call me bishop and all this kind of stuff i'm not into all of that stuff right i, I don't I'm, I'm not like some some kind of authoritarian and all i'm not i'm not with that at all and here's but but you know what i do i listen to people when i have conversations with them I listen to people when I'm in marriage counseling, and, and, and listen, I just I throw it out there. I hear people when they're in marriage counseling, you know, and they, and they want to say stuff like, you know, they, they, start, they start talking about not wanting to submit. I shouldn't have to do this because, no, 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 that's not what the Bible said. And ladies, I love you, but can I tell you something? Obedience is the best place to be. And if you are married, submission to your husband is the way that you should go. If not, you should have stood single. But now you are married, so don't be thinking, well, Bishop said I should be single. I didn't say you should be single. I said you should have stood single. Now you get to be sanctified, amen, through this submission, glory to God, right? But it's not just that submission to the word, but then husbands that, you know, they don't want to love their wives because, hold on a second, you are not being submissive to who? To God Almighty. You know, I always listen to people in conversation. You know, even, listen, I, I want you to know something. Y'all should know this by now. I definitely don't agree with our president. I don't agree with a lot of the policies and stuff like that. There's no question about that. I have no issue saying that. I'm not going to go and disrespect the president, though. I'm not going to talk a bunch of garbage about the president. I will tell you that his policies are whack, and I'll let you know when they are unbiblical. I'll let you know. There's no question about that. There's nothing, there's nothing disrespectful about that. It's the same thing if someone, if I come and I do something that is wrong, and you come and tell me, hey, man, you were wrong. Is that disrespectful? No, that's just being truthful. But it's a different thing when I go and I start talking bad about, I start disrespecting, I start dishonoring a person. See, that's a different story. 
And this is what the scripture says. The scripture says, and, and, and they reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Now, look what he goes on to say. He's trying to show you this, this correlation and what shouldn't be happening. He says, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending for, with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, and these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. So you remember Cain, right? Cain was the first murderer, right? You remember him? Right? Have run greedily in the era of Balaam. You remember Balaam, right? He was the guy that God was like, go over there, but don't say anything that I don't say. And he decided for profit he was going to say some things that God didn't say. Like God didn't tell him to tell Balak, hey, this is how you get them into bondage. God didn't tell him that, right? But he wanted to make some money. So he's like, well, hey, man, I want to get paid so I can say this, right? I'm not saying thus says the Lord. I'm just saying. So he, they, he says they, go, they went in the way of Balaam and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so this guy by the name of Korah, he leads this rebellion in the, in, in the book of Numbers against Moses. And he's like, man, Moses isn't the only one that God is listening to and all this kind of stuff. And Moses like throws himself down before the Lord. And then he tells him to show themselves the next day. And the, listen, the earth opened up on them. This is how how intense this was. Moses was like, listen, all y'all, get away from them. Get away from them now because if they die the way that all men die, then God hasn't spoken to me. But if the earth, if, if something else happens here, then you know what? You know that God is here. And you know what happened? The earth opened up, right? Like it, it was, I, I can only imagine that, right? Like they were standing like right there in front of you. It would be like this center row right here. Like, oh, y'all, I'm sorry to put y'all in this predicament. But it'd be like this center row, and all of a sudden, boom, it just opens up and closes back up. We continue with service as is, right? That's what happened. We wouldn't continue with service as is. We would pray for you guys. But listen, it's too late, right? Lord, on their way. Lord, have mercy. That's some. But ultimately, what he's, <laughs> what, what he's showing us is that this is what these people have done. They've rebelled against God's word. They've rebelled against God's authority. They've rebelled, and they've done things that are dishonoring. And God is saying all of those things are worthy of judgment. Verse 12, he says, these, now look at this. Now remember, this is private. This is about us, the people. Look what he says about these kind of people. He says they are spots in your love feast. What is he talking about? He's saying they're spots. They're, 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 they're a blemish. In your love feast, and, and love feast in those days, right, it's a little bit different now. Like right now we do communion with a little wafer and, you know, and, a, and, and a little cup. But they actually had a communion meal, a communal meal where they got together and they broke bread. And they remembered the Lord's Supper. And that was their love feast when they would get together. That's the reason why when you read chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about wait for others. And how does some of y'all get drunk? I mean, man, if you were to get drunk on this stuff, it would take you like a thousand of those little cups, right? Like I'm just saying, I mean, even me that I don't drink, I mean, I would be like... I'd drink the whole thing and wouldn't get drunk. I don't know. But anyway, especially we use grape juice anyway. But nonetheless, it'd be a long time for me to get drunk on that. But if that was alcoholic, right, it would take a while, right? I'm just saying. But that's the reason, because they didn't do it with a little cup and a little wafer. That wasn't the way they did communion. But he's saying they're a spot. They're a blemish in your, because they look like everyone else, but they don't, they don't belong there. They don't have the right heart. So he goes on, he says, there's a spot in your love feast. He said, while they feast with you without fear, because they don't reverence God, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about with the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 
So listen, if you are rebellious, listen to me now. If you are rebellious against God's authority, if you're rebellious against God's word, if you are living in sexual immorality, if you are participating in things that do not bring glory to God and you think that it's okay, I want you to see what this scripture says. This scripture says, no, you are not okay, but there is a blackness, a darkness, a suffering, an eternal torment that awaits those who walk in rebellion continually against God. It doesn't matter how much money you give or not. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church or not. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you know or not. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is, are you living holy before God Almighty? And some of you are like, well, you know, you know, Bishop, you always preach to us that it's not about my righteousness. Listen to me. The righteousness of Jesus covers us, but it also empowers us to live righteously. And so don't ever think, because that's another thing. I'm going to point this out in a moment. That's another thing that they do. They pervert the grace of God. That's what they do. They say, it's okay to do whatever you want to do. It is not okay to do whatever you want to do. The scripture says that these who proclaim that are going to suffer and fire. And anyone who practices that is going to suffer with them as well. He said in verse 14, this is the verse that I was talking about. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all who convict, and to, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16 says, These are grumblers complainers walking according to their own lust and their mouth and, and they mouth great swelling words flattering people to gain advantage but you beloved remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ how they told you that there would be mockers in the last days who would walk according to their own ungodly lust these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit and that's when he encourages them. He says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on the most holy faith. Notice he doesn't say just the faith. He says the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, look what he says. On some have compassion, making a distinction. But on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, batting batting even, hating even the garment, just defiled by the flesh. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, there's some people in here, there's some people that, you know, you see them in sin, and listen, and you see them struggling in their sin, he's like, don't go condemning them and beat them up. He's like, man, you got to have compassion. You got to be merciful. That doesn't mean you compromise the truth, but you need to discern between the two because there is one that you need to save from the fire. In other words, listen, don't engage. Don't be hanging out with them. Don't be like all chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy, and hanging out. No, no, no. He's saying, look, those you save with, with fear, and that way you don't fall into that sin. That way you don't get, become engaged in that sin. You preach to them. You communicate to them. But you do not engage in that lifestyle. But then there's others. And we got to be discerning to know the difference between the two. And can I tell you how you know the difference between the two? There is one of them that enjoys their sin and are okay in their sin. But there is another one that they're not. There is one that makes excuses for their sin. There is one that justifies themselves. There is one who says what they're doing is okay because X, Y, and Z. There is one that you know that, you see that. Then there's the other one. 
There's the other one that knows that they're in sin. There's the one that knows that they're wrong before God. There is the one that realized, there's one that's being convicted right now, and they know, they're like, God, I need your mercy, and I want you to know that God's mercy is available now for you to call upon him. God's mercy is available for you now to cry out to him and say, God, forgive me for my sin and my rebellion against you. Jude declares that these false teachers had prophesied about in the days of Enoch. And he says that they're ungodly in verse 4 there. He says that they are ungodly. He said, and that word ungodly means that they're destitute of reverential awe towards God. They're impious. They're, they pervert grace. They turn. They transpose. They change. They transfer. It is behavior completely lacking moral restraint. Using freedom as a license to sin. It depicts our culture's unwillingness to acknowledge God's word as authoritative in all matters. Are you hearing me? That's what this shows. And then it says here, look, look, look back at verse 4 just so you can see this here. It says, for certain men have crept in unholy or unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, that's what I just said, who turn the grace of God, of our God, into lewdness. And the last one is they deny the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean? They deny, they reject, they say no to Jesus' authority. What happens is this, is that when false teachers and false, and, and false teaching are allowed to influence the church, they create false identity, they create false security, and they create false salvation. We must contend earnestly against the false teaching that undermine our identity in Christ, offer us false security in our sin, and offer us a different way of salvation. Hear me. Whenever anyone comes and tells you, and here's the thing that you have to realize, is that you have many people, and the reason why this cultural battle is so important for us to realize this, because this cultural battle that we see, you have many people on television who have, who have, who have popularity, and they are out there saying that they are Christian, but they believe different than the Bible. See, this is what I need you to understand, because those are the people that influence the church, and we don't even realize it. Those are the people who confuse the church. I mean, you think about this, and, and, and I'll bring this up. When that, when that bishop you know, from the Episcopal Church years ago decided to come out and say you know, that he was openly you know, homosexual and all that kind of stuff, listen, I want you to know that that shook the faith of many people, especially in the area of, of what's right and what's wrong when it comes to this particular topic of sexuality. Many people were shaken because of that. Listen, the Episcopal Church was shaken because of that. One of my close friends, the, um, 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 Reverend John Davis, he's, one, he's the one that is, is, is the leader over here over, over um, Canterbury Retreat Center. Canterbury Retreat Center, Retreat Center, they are an Episcopal Retreat Center. And he's part of this, this particular, you know, diocese down here. And he says, here, they're much more conservative. And what he said clearly, he's like, the reason why I don't leave the Episcopal Church is because I feel like I am there to bring light unto those who, don't, who, who are fighting to, you know, know the truth. That's the reason why he hasn't walked out. While other people, again, he's doing what? He's doing what Jude said. Some of them he's trying to save with fear. He's, he's trying to let them know they're wrong. But there are others he's having compassion on. There's others that he's trying to bring them to the saving knowledge of, of, of understanding that, listen, these things are wrong and those things are crystal clear in the scriptures. That's what he wants, to, he wants them to understand. And so here we have to understand the same reality that Jude is communicating. We have to contend against the faith. The last um, point that I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must contend for the faith publicly. We must contend for the faith publicly. Turn your Bibles with me really quickly to 1 Peter, just a couple of books back. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 15. <clears throat> I 
We'll start reading in verse 13. When you got to say so. And it says this, and it says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? It says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, now look, now pause. I said 15, verse 8, right? I said that that's where he connects with what Jude says. He says here, he says to sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Jesus needs to be Lord in your heart continuously every day. You need to sanctify him in your heart as Lord. In other words, you need to make it a point that you are going to obey the scriptures, that you are going to seek God's will, that you are going to submit to him regardless of how you feel. Listen, every day is different. Like I said, some days I need to be humbled. Other days I need to be lifted up. But the reality is every day I need to make sure Jesus is Lord of my heart. I need to make sure not just every day, every moment, every thought, every decision I make, that's when the question comes, is he really Lord of my heart? But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And always be ready, look at this, to give a defense. That's the word apologia, where we get the no apology from, right? That, 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 that's where the, the word comes from that we're talking about this defending of the faith. And give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Can I tell you something? What Peter is saying here, he's not talking about giving a reason to your brother or your sister about the hope that is in you. He's talking about giving a reason to the world about the hope that is within you. He's talking about letting the world know. And so what we realize is this, it is to no avail. Hear me when I say this. It is to no avail that we be built up personally, united privately, and silent publicly. Did you hear me? It is to no avail to be built up personally. In other words, you're solid in your convictions and your beliefs. To be united privately as a church, we're united on the truth of Scripture. We're united on the core truths that we need to believe. We're united in the realities of what God's will and God's word is. It is, it is to no avail that we are built up personally, united privately, and silent publicly. Because you know what? If we're silent publicly, then salt is not being salt. It's not doing anything. It's like I've used the example before. You can have salt that is the saltiest, the most pure, the most amazing salt. And until it touches the meat, it does nothing for the meat. That's, listen, you can, you can take a salt shaker. Let's just say that this is a nice, amazing steak you're about to have tomorrow. And you just t test the theory. Test it, glory to God. All right, if you want to ruin your steak and be disappointed. But you get your best seasoning, and you put it, listen, and you, you get it all mixed up real nice, and you put it right there next to that steak inside of a container. And you let it sit. Listen, as a matter of fact, let it sit all night. You know, as a matter of fact, put it on top of it. Just, you, you can do whatever you want with it, all right? You can, you can wrap it in aluminum foil. You can put it in a container together. Look, you can do everything you want. And then tomorrow morning when you get up or whatever time you wake up and you get up and you go out to that grill, you take that steak and you put it out there and you, and you, and you fire it up. Make sure that steak is cooked exactly like you like it. And you tell me how it tasted. You're going to be disappointed. You know Why? Because all the flavor in the world can't do anything until it touches the thing it needs to affect. And we can be the most savory people. We can be salty. Hello. <laughs> I know that's a negative word nowadays, but we should be salty. Amen. Not salty like that. We should be salty people. Right? 
not with a foul attitude, not with a nasty, no, 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 but a people that are really being sanctified by the truth of God's word and that we go out into this world and we let this world know what God's world says, what God's word says and that we can influence them, we can help them to come to know the knowledge of the truth. You see, the apostle Peter reminds us in the scripture we just read that our defense of the faith is for public discourse, not just personal knowledge and assurance. As believers, we must know, hear me when I say this, we must know what we believe and how to defend it in the face of false accusers. Peter said, so that way those who falsely accuse you will do what? They'll be ashamed. Can I tell you something? And listen, and again, I need you to know this. We're in this cultural war. And we're in this battle that is going on. And the church, listen, there are some people, they deserve to be blasphemed. It's sad to say, there are some Christians, they deserve to be blasted. They deserve to be talked about because they're doing a terrible job of showing the love of Christ. The one thing that I love, and I, and, and I love because I heard Micah's, Micah the, from last week, heard his testimony twice. I heard it once on, on, on a on video that I saw before he came here. I cried both times, just amazing, powerful testimony. But in this second time, what he said in this service here today, and I think that it was for us because we needed to hear this, and the church needs to hear this. The thing that moved this young man so much was this Baptist pastor showed him the love of God. Amen. Listen, the truth hurts all by itself. Your salty attitude is not needed. That's the wrong salt. It's the wrong salt. What is the truth? You know, I know it's the truth. But man, can you like show some love with that truth? Can you show some compassion with that truth? Let me give you an example. You know, right now this whole bathroom thing is like an issue. I'm going to tell you right now, right? We're all brothers and sisters in here. This is a private moment, right? Because I'm going to tell you something. I think that there are some things that need to remain private. One of the things that I hate about the Internet, one of the things that I hate about it, is that we have so much stuff that is out there. There's, there's so many people because there are people, and I call them this all the time, heresy hunters. I can't stand them. I'm, I'm going to let you know right now. I believe you're supposed to stand for the truth. I believe you're supposed to confront the, you're, you're supposed to confront the lies. I believe it all day long. But you want to know what happens? On the internet, we got all these heresy hunters talking all bad about all these other people over here. And you know all it does? I'm going to tell you what it does is it gives the world more fuel to say, I don't want to be part of that. That's all it does. And I know, look, and I, and I understand we live in a different day and all that kind of stuff, but the scriptures remain the same. The way that we are supposed to communicate with one another. The way we're supposed to confront truth, right? But here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand. This, this whole bathroom issue, it is a non-issue. Are you hearing me? But I want you to know the reason why it, it is an issue is because of the ignorance and the blindness of people who are bound by the, in deception from Satan. That's the reason why it's an issue. Because here's the thing. This is, this, and, and how, how do you as, a, as an apologist, how, how, do you, how do you talk about this conversation? Someone comes up to you and says, well, hey, you know, brother, you know, what, what do you think about this whole bathroom issue? You know, are you going to cower and be like, man, I don't want to say something wrong because I don't know what to say. Let me tell you what you say. The book of Genesis says he created them male and female. God made no mistakes on the topic. There's no question. If you were born a boy, you're a boy. If you were born a girl, you're a girl. Our culture has always, we, hear me when I say this, no one, oh, I love this. You could argue with me a little bit more about the whole marriage issue. Let me tell you something. I'm not down with marriage between a man and a woman in any way, shape, or form, right? Make sure you edit that. All right, just catch that moment because I want to make sure this is clear. Let me clarify that. I am, 
I'm, thank y'all for correcting me in my speech, not in my heart or my mind. Know that for sure. There is no question marriage is between one man and one woman. Amen. Amen. That is what it's supposed to be. All right. But I could understand someone arguing from the position of, you know, there's no rights for these people in this relationship when someone dies and all that kind of stuff. I can get with all of that. I can understand that a little bit. Because I have compassion on the situation because you're a sinner, right? You're separated from God. You're bound in deception. You made a bad decision. I get that. I get that, right? No one has ever denied anyone the use of a bathroom anywhere. No one. No one has been denied, hey, you, you can't use that bathroom. No one said that. No one said you cannot use the bathroom. Simply said what? Guys, you go into that one. You know, the one with the legs. Girls, the one with the dress, right? That's, you go there, you go here. And in, in so many situations, right, it's a single bathroom anyway, like at Faith Dome. You go wherever you want. Be careful. Depending on who was in front of you, because it could be intense. But listen, I'm just saying, nobody is denying anyone, right? No one is denying anyone. But they're making this an argument. Are you hearing me? They're making this a, 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 like, like, like a civil rights issue. Bro, you can go pee wherever you want. Or wait till you go home like most people. Hello. I'm just saying. But here's the thing. How do you deal with this in the culture? How do you address it? Listen, you address it lovingly. Laugh about it. Be like, this is, this is a dumb issue. I don't mean laugh like ignore it. I mean like, are you really asking me that question? Like, don't be sarcastic. I was a little sarcastic, but listen. <laughs> so don't laugh. X that. Edit that as well, okay? We got a lot of editing going on today. The point is, right, what you do is you embrace the question and you bring them the truth lovingly. You bring them the truth kindly, but you bring them the truth clearly. This is what Peter was saying. The hope that is within us. This is what Jude was saying. Defend, contend earnestly for the faith. He wasn't just talking about your personal faith. He was talking about all of the counsel of Scripture. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about all of the counsel of truth. He was talking about all of those things. And so you know what? Listen, if the Bible says it, that's what the Bible says. If the Bible says this, that's what the Bible means. There's no question about that. And here's what I want you to get as I'm getting ready to close here. As we stand upon the truth of Scripture in all matters, contending for the faith, despite the opposition, listen to me. We afford the lost an opportunity to be saved by grace. Did you hear me when I said that? When you stand up for the, the reason why, let me tell you the reason why you need to be a person who is voting your morals the reason why you need to be a person who influences policy as you have been granted this right. That's the first reason, right? Because you've been given a right as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a citizen of the United States of America. That is part of your rights, okay? But here's the reason why you need to make sure you are influencing policy. Because here's what the enemy knows. What the enemy knows is that if we can get laws that applaud evil, then you know what happens? It takes away the sting of conviction. Are you hearing me? When your culture is berating you and bombarding you and saying this is okay, and listen, they got those people, I already talked to you about them, those people that call themselves Christians, say they believe the Bible, and those people are backing these laws that are against God. What happens is, the, obviously the moral compass goes down. 
But all of a sudden, the, see, see for, for you that are older, you're like, you sit there sometimes, and, and let me say this, you think, well, I know the truth, and so, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Hold on a second. What about those little kids that are coming up? Because then they're going to come and sit in a church like this, they're going to be like, this guy's nuts. Not because of the nine mistakes he made, but because he's just crazy. He's talking about this Bible and Genesis. What, 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 you know, hold on a second. We need to make sure that we stand up for that. Because here's what happens. Now when I communicate and I stand up for the truth, and I'm communicating to my friends, my family, my loved ones, I'm having these conversations that are tough, you know what's, you know what's happening is I'm actually offering them the opportunity to be saved. Really be saved. Not just to come to Jesus because he's nice and he's cool and he wants to bring you to heaven. No. I'm letting people know, listen, I said it earlier, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, you may not be able to break down for them. We were born into sin and all this kind of stuff. You ain't got to do all of that. Just help them to understand we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God, eternal condemnation. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then help them to understand that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call upon him, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, he is God the Son, you believe that he died, that he rose again, you believe that in your heart, confess that with your mouth, and you, the Bible says, not me, this is what the scriptures say, You're, you'll be saved. That's what the scriptures teach. So we, as those people who are standing up for truth, who are contending for the faith, that's the title of the message, contending for the faith. As we do that, we offer people opportunities to really come to know Jesus. And if we, are, if, if, if we are ever to truly see the lost be saved, they must know, listen to me, that God's standards have not changed, God's solution is still the same, and it is stronger than ever before. So my closing question for you is this. Which area do you need to grow most in contending, contending, in the, contending for the faith? Do you need to grow privately or personally? Do you need to grow publicly? Where is it? Maybe you're in this place and you're like, man, I need to grow personally. I need, I, I need to contend for the faith personally. I need to make this faith my own. I need to make this truth my own. I need to, I need to grow in this. I can't, I can't live in compromise anymore. Like that's where you need to be at. And if that's you today, God is calling you to put your faith, trust him, make a decision. Because my second question is, what's your next step? Are you going to just walk out of here and just say, man, I really need to do this and do nothing? But if that's you, then you need to get into the scriptures. You need to make it a point to say, man, I'm going to begin tomorrow, even though I want to sleep in. Hello. I'm going to wake up an hour earlier than what I anticipated. I'm going to talk to God for 30 minutes. Listen, I'm not going to tell you to get all King James on God because you don't need all that. But I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to put my heart out there before him. And then I'm going to spend another 30 minutes reading the Bible. Listen, if you don't know where to start reading, man, start reading the Gospel of John. That's a great place to start, right? You know, you, you've, you've read through the Gospels, and where do you read that? Well, go ahead and read, you know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Read Romans. Read, you know, read the Scriptures. But listen, don't do, don't, don't do the Bible roulette stuff. Be like, boom. Isaiah 64. I mean, that's a good one, although you would rend the heavens. It works sometimes, right? But you know... Well, you know what I'm saying is like people like they don't have like a Bible reading plan like hey I'm just going to open the Bible to wherever <laughs> right don't do that it's not going to work all the time like that <laughs> Santa planned that that just happened but the, 
The point is, what is your next step? If you're saying, man, I need to, I need to contend personally, right? Or maybe you need to contend privately. Listen, maybe you know, hear me when I say this. Maybe you know brothers and sisters that are in here. Listen to me now. This hits home. Maybe you know brothers and sisters in here that they need to hear the truth on some topics. And you know it's going to be a rough conversation. It's going to be a long conversation. But you know what? It's a conversation that needs to be had nonetheless. And I know, listen, I've, I, listen I've been here leading going to be 14 years and in, in, in August I've had some long conversations I've had some tough conversations I've had some conversations that I avoid having but nonetheless I got to have them and what I'm telling you is that if you know of someone who needs to hear the truth about something lovingly graciously stand up for the truth maybe they're not even in here maybe they're in your Christian circle maybe they're in your friends that call themselves Christian they need to hear this truth listen have conversations with them or maybe you're in this place and you're like, man, I need to contend publicly. Like, I need to stand up. I, I, need to, I need to be bold in my workplace. I need to be bold among my unsafe friends. I need to be bold in my conviction. Maybe that's you in this place. And so for those two, because those are more relational, what's your next step? Well, the next step is, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going I'm to do this for you. I'm going to give you a next step. You're going to pray tomorrow morning for them. You're going to pray for this week, for this conversation you don't want to have. And you're going to make a commitment to have a conversation with them by next week. Amen. I'm giving you your next step. I'm helping you out. Because you'll be like, I'm going to pray about this. You're going to pray about it for the next month. Until you're not thinking about it anymore. And then you've, been, then you've been disobedient to the Lord. Listen, I want us to be those people that grow in the grace and in the knowledge of who Jesus is. Amen. I want us to be those who contend for the faith. I want us to be those who say, God, we're your servants, we're your soldiers. We're here to honor and bless you with our lives and the way that we live. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for a moment. We're gonna, I, I want you to think real quick. I want you to just meditate on this and think about. I'm going to show you a video in a second, but as they're preparing this video, I want you to just consider what you heard today. How is it that God has challenged you this morning? How is it that God has called you to live out the truth, to be this witness, and to stand firm as a person who's going to contend for the faith? The truth is the truth, no matter who wants to believe it. You can deny the truth all day long. Listen, you can deny the truth that gravity exists, but you jump off a building, you're going to fall. And fall hard. You can deny whatever. You can deny the calories that you're about to put into your body. But if you keep doing it, you will gain the weight. Unless you have a worm inside of you. Hello, somebody. And there's some people that they have that they can eat whatever they want, but it'll catch up to them one day. Hello. Maybe. We're, we're all hoping. Us that struggle with that, we're hoping it will. But at the end of the day, you can't deny the truth, right? You can only deny it for so long. But here's what we are called to do. We're called to present the truth. And like I said, let God defend it. Let God defend it. Let him use you. Let it start in your own life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for your truth that is here, that is evident, that is among us. Thank you for your grace in our lives. And thank you for my brothers and my sisters that are here today. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fill us all with your grace and power. I pray that you would use us for your glory and for your namesake. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us all to see your will 
and your purpose in our lives, Lord God, as being those ambassadors for truth, as being those representatives of the faith, Lord God. I pray that you would build us privately. I pray that you would build us personally. And I pray that you would embolden us publicly, Lord God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would fill each and every one of us. You know every need and every heart. And I just pray that you would reveal unto us the grace that is necessary for us to serve you faithfully. I pray, Lord God, all of these things, and I ask you this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.